0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Writers and Authors Show. Uh, we do this every second Wednesday with our friends over at Books Forward. And if you don't know them yet, I encourage you to go to their website, booksforward.com. We have been working with them and their authors for... Over two decades, I'm going to believe. I think even back in the day when Nancy and I were in print, um, running around in print. Um, so we've been going for 26 years. So I think, yeah, definitely been with them for a long time. And why we like working with them is they really know good authors. And today we have an amazing author joining us, Lynn Squire. He is the author of the Dunstan Burnett trilogy. And his first novel is coming out in this trilogy, uh, September 26, 2023, through a level best books. It's called Immortalized to Death. Uh, so September twenty sixth is a day. So you can go to his website, com, And that's Lynn, L-Y-N. And we love it. Lynn is from Wales, which is so cool. Uh, we rarely get to chat with people from Wales. We do a lot in England, Scotland. Uh, but finally, we get to talk with someone from Wales. And you're going to enjoy this conversation because it does delve into uh, the the death of Charles Dickens, and it's one of those good old fashioned mysteries. If you love a good whodunit, this is going to be for you. So, welcome to the show, Lynn. How are you?
1: I'm fine, thank you, Lisa. And uh, let me just say thank you so much for having me on Big Blend Radio.
0: Oh, we're excited about this, you know. Nancy's reading, and and she's terrible. Like she's not. Allowed. We have to watch her because she always wants to tell everybody everything, and she does that to me. And I'm like, I'm trying to read the book. Don't ruin it for me. No, but did you know? Um, and 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 your book is definitely this way. And I'm so excited that you bring up Charles Dickens. We all know him, right? Um, but I I want to just go. There, I want to start there because I want people to kind of remember who Charles Dickens was. And he's so famous in so many so many of his writings. Um, but you start at his death, which even at the beginning of the book, when even, you know, just everybody just oh, he's writing away, like, you know, he's his pen is flowing over, you know, and doing his thing, but he was really dead. What inspired you to focus on him? Well, um, I'll give you two answers to this. One is, let me say a
1: few words about Dickens, because obviously he features prominently in my story. But then let me go to the fact that kind of a singular event which inspired mm-hmm. me to write the uh, the book Immortalized to Death. What do we know about Dickens? Well, this man was, in 58 years of life on this earth, wrote some of the most incredible books most incredible stories ever they were sprawling they went all over the place and of course he introduced some of the most famous characters ever just think of Fagin or the Artful Dodger they're names that we use in general mm. conversation to the, to this day uh I've actually read I think all of his <laughs> novels wow and, uh, yeah oh yeah I, I I think he has uh Great characters that really drive his stories. If you think of the first one he wrote, this was the, uh, the Pickwick Papers. This story actually doesn't have a plot. It's just a series of events about these, this character, these characters, the people in the Pickwick Club and the troubles they get into. It's humorous. It's funny. It's a different, uh, adventure or misadventure. Each, mm-hmm. each, each month. He moved on from that to beginning to have more structure to his stories. And, uh, by time he got to, I know, Dombey and Son, which was published in 1848, he was actually preparing notes for his, his books. And the little point I want to get in here is mm-hmm. that uh, the notes that he'd prepared for the mystery of Edwin druid which I'm sure we'll talk about a little later, stopped at installment six. This was the in- sixth installment in what was supposed to be 12. So just keep that in your mind. He died halfway through this novel. Uh, let me just say one word about installments, because mm. in those days, this was um, late 19th century in, in England the books came out in monthly issues. They appeared in a magazine. So every, every 30 days, Dickens had to produce like four or five chapters to make an installment for this magazine. I cannot imagine the sort of the pressure he was under to fulfill this contract of producing right on the 30th day of four or five chapters ready to go to the publisher. But he did it. And uh, wow. the reason he did it, I think, is because he was such a natural and gifted writer. He could sit down and write stuff, and you know, pages and pages. He would come out of his study and he would say to uh, Georgina, who was mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of his housekeeper, his, and his sister-in-law, actually, he would come out and say, I've just written furiously for four or five mm-hmm. hours. And that was what he could do it, if you ask, if you take me, I'm, um, I'm a slugger. You know, <laughs> if I write 500 words in a day, I think I've done extraordinarily well. And then I have to go back and redo them because they weren't right. Dickens just wrote absolutely brilliant.
0: Well, uh, I, I love that. I want to just say the two yeah. things you're talking about the installments and then him writing these chapters like this and i know with georgina she she's like he either does his lunch and then he comes in later like mm-hmm. he's either you know um and and he was dead at that point when he one day didn't come up for lunch but these installments like i think it's fascinating that you chose to do a trilogy right so it's kind of harking back to that mm-hmm. um and obviously your character took over things like you you've got attached to the character which is so British, sorry, Wales is it Wales, Walesish or British? You know, it's like the character. British is fine, I assure you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The you know character is such a key role. So I I find that fascinating that you've done that. Like you, you're in that zone where, in I think we with all this fast paced kind of literature and and movies and everything. I like that we're getting a little bit more independent. And, um, you know, I know as we're recording this, there's like a writer's strike and everything, but I think <laughs> the things that do really well are when people identify with a character, you can put that character through anything. It's about the character. The story is like almost like the secondary thing. It's about who that person right. is because people want to identify. So did, do you think you, you kind of, we're inspired by Dickens for your own writing and then deciding, okay, here's my character here. Here's my detective. And then here is also this trilogy because I'm not going to do just one novel.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I do think character is important. And, uh, if I may say a few words about sure. the, uh, the protagonist in my, in, in the trilogy, his name is Dunstone Burnett. And, uh, I wanted to have a a character. He's sorry. He's like for the amateur detective in these mysteries. We love those, yeah. And uh, but I wanted an amateur detective who was certainly not the wonderful uh, classic sleuth like uh, Sherlock Holmes, who you know had these terrific powers of observation and uh, made these wonderful deductions, which incidentally always proved to be right. But that's another story. Uh, I didn't want that, nor did I want the tough guy, private eye sort of detective, say someone like Sam Spade. So the more I thought about it, the more I felt, for me, the right kind of person was someone who was uh, maybe slightly diffident, middle-aged. In fact, I ended up in saying that uh, this man, Dunstan Burnett, was a retired bookkeeper. So you can't get much further away from sort of, detective material than this man but mm. uh i gave to his character two talents one is he had this ability to connect dots okay well other detectives have that but dust not only connected the dots which were already there he sort of visualized or made up a few extra dots and put them into the mix as, as well now, the in- the consequence of this is that when he said, oh, I think this is what happened, chances are he's wrong. He could be wrong. He could be right. Holmes was never, <laughs> never wrong. So anyway, he had this uh, ability, this talent to um, kind of visualize what might have happened, even if it was not based soundly. In fact, the other is once he fixed onto an idea, he was very, very tenacious. And he would pursue it, like you know, he would with all the determination mm-hmm. and tenacity that that you can imagine. So, the th- idea running through this trilogy is that we have this man, who is hardly a an obvious candidate to be a detective, who faces a series of what seem like unsolvable crimes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that tension. Which plays out in, uh, immortalized to death, but then is carried through into, um, the other two stories in this trilogy. So in a way, that character, his, uh, sort of his deficiencies as a detective, but the one or two talents he has
0: that carries all the way through the trilogy. I, I love it because it's that rabbit hole. We talk about this on our shows all the time. The rabbit holes you can't pull out. Like, once you're in it, (laughs) I mean, it's like an obsession, right? And everybody has something that they're fascinated by. But when you start, you know, and and it's, you know, in this country, we have the conspiracy theories, right? (laughs) Politics, we won't go there. But, you know, we'll not go to politics. God, no. Um, But but when when you think about it, once something gets you and you've got, you've been bitten by the bug, so to speak, right? It's like a song that those earworm songs that you can't get out of your head. Uh, Right. Yeah. That's the same thing for him. Like he's, he's maybe amateur, but if you've got a taste of, you think you know something and even everybody's going, no, you're going to go for it. You're going to do it because you can't hold back. It's, it gets under your skin, you know?
1: Yeah, indeed.
0: Um I, I think
1: by the time I've done completed this trilogy, and the and the first book is coming out soon, the second one uh about this time next year, and the third in in 2025, uh I think by the time I've done that trilogy, I'll probably be ready to move on to you know some new character which we haven't even thought of yet. But I want to wait and see what kind of reaction I get to the these books. If it's uh, very positive, then yes, indeed, I will probably consider a new character, a new set of stories. If these three books prove out, prove to be a, to prove to be duds, which I hope that doesn't
0: happen. Oh no, no, no way!
1: But I'm mm-hmm. going to take up golf.
0: No, <laughs> I mean, no, golf is fine. I'm not going against golf, but no, I, I'm no, because I, I love your writing. You give us space to breathe. I talk about that in music and books um where you, it it you know cuz Charles and I really wanted to talk about Charles Dickens because there's there's a fear of even getting into it because of the language being too much you know from older times. Right. And your book allows us to breathe and actually get through that and understand who he is and then that era that time frame um and setting of Kent, you know and and i And I feel like sometimes it's like people who would really be interested and in, want to read him have that fear of "Oh, it's going to be like Shakespeare, I can't get into it, you know, and Shakespeare's brilliant, right, yeah. but it's a hard it's, step hard, to, <laughs> it's hard, and yeah. so when when authors like you bring something to life a, a person like that to life, you're carrying this torch, and I think even what you're doing is through having a trilogy is is carrying a torch. And you're carrying the torch for a good old mystery. Right. And your Dennets are like so, we all want to know. I mean, I think that's the most things, you know, people watch that stuff on TV all the time. I mean, I'd like to see this be up on the screen too. I mean, would you be against that or do you want it to just be, I mean, come on, we had Agatha Miss, uh, Agatha Christie on TV and then we had, you know, Murder She Wrote. Come on. You know, you, you, you've got to have liked Murder She Wrote, right? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, you're talking about shows which I watched and loved for sure. Uh, let me just say, say a word on, uh, how people get involved with the mysteries and in particular how they might be involved with the, the mystery of Edwin Drood, which, uh, is the Dickens story, which features mm-hmm. in my novel. This is the one that Dickens was writing when he died. So he's only right. finished it. And I think that anyone who reads that first half of that story, and it is it's fascinating and intriguing, but anyone who reads that first half is almost inevitably driven to try to figure out what happened in the second half. And in fact, there's been a huge industry of authors, researchers, Dickens scholars, and so on, who tried to figure out what happened in the second half of his story. Uh, there was... Uh, a bibliography which came out, I think it was in 1998. It's 600 pages long with over 2000 attempts. These are all published attempts to solve the mystery of Edwin Drood. And I think that just wow. adds to the interest in mysteries in general, but also in, in, in the Dickens. mystery of Edwin Drood. And talking about shows, uh, there was um, a Broadway musical about the mystery of Edwin Drew. I think it was in 2012, it was staged in uh, in New York. And at the intermission, the audience was asked to come up with their idea of how the story was going to unfold. And then the cast would act that out in the second half of the show. Uh, talking about TV, there was a there was a PBS. Uh, masterpiece production a few years ago. I think that well, it might have been 2012 as well. And just <laughs> add one note on this: see how how far this kind of interest in the story goes. There was even a one-day academic conference in Senate House in London in 2014. So you've got a bunch of university wow. professors thinking about this story and how it might conclude. That. I think a test to the interest that these stories generate.
0: I, I wonder if anybody did a seance thing and try to get a psychic to call him up and say, what was the end of this? You know what I mean? <laughs> like going to that level. I, I, I bet someone did. I, I'm sure well, that I, I'm, I, I'm sure you're right.
1: There was even <laughs> uh, a mock trial. Uh, no way. Yep. Yeah, this was put on by, uh, a group of authors, and they tried John Jasper, who's this, who's the villainous choir master in the story. They tried him for the murder of Edwin Drood. <laughs> so people go to extraordinary lengths to figure out what happened. And, oh,
0: so I love this. I love this, and you know, it, it, it fascinates me about even just there's this these amazing writers that will always make us think. And I think Charles Dickens was one of those. That that's part of it is when you read a, a really good story and a miss, I think the, the, one of the key elements of a mystery, right. Other than the character, right. Which we've talked about is the co-creation. I always say this about novels and any book you're reading, you're co-creating because you're having your own vision. You're setting up the character, like, the author developed, here's the character, right? Here's their traits. But no matter what, it's your vision in your mind, your picture, right? You're hearing the voices in what you're hearing in your own ears and the own dialects and sound. It's like you're creating a movie when you read a book, right? Right, right. It takes you to all these places. So you're sparking your imagination. And a mystery is like you are the amateur sleuth. You are yeah. the amateur. Exactly. You are. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's something that makes people think and in a way that you don't get in school where they're telling you, you must think and do this now and do it by this deadline. And as a kid, you're going, no, (laughs) there's a stress with it, you know, I think
1: that's an an interesting point. Um, I mean, if my book does encourage readers to try to use their little gray cells to to figure out the solution to the, the mystery in my book, that's terrific. Uh, if it encourages them to think more generally about other mysteries or even the mystery of Edwin Drew and try to work out a solution to that, that's fine. But my feeling, my view has always been that my story is meant to entertain. Uh, so it's not really an educational device or anything like that. It really is meant to entertain. And if the reader walks away from reading my book and says, my goodness. I really enjoyed that story. I would be very, very happy. And I think Dickens was the same. Mm. He was there to entertain, and his stories are entertaining. If you like humor in books, Dickens had that. If you like drama, Dickens had that. If you like to have your emotions tugged this way and that way, Dickens had that. So well worth reading.
0: I know this sounds really weird, but I always looked at Charles Dickens and Benjamin Franklin as kind of connected because Benjamin Franklin, I know there's another guy who's famous for the Farmer's Almanac, but Benjamin Franklin actually started it as a form of entertainment for people Uh to get through the winter.
1: Yeah,
0: And it was kind of like a comical thing, but people started taking it seriously, but he was writing it as entertainment. And I always felt like, I don't know why I felt they're always connected, but I would like to have the two of them in a conversation. I'd like to be the <laughs> yeah. one on the wall for that. Wouldn't you think that would be interesting? I don't regret it.
1: You've actually told me something I didn't know. I didn't know that about Benjamin Franklin, but I think that, that would be absolutely fascinating. You're right.
0: Yeah, he did some kind of, it was like, if I'm wrong, maybe it was after the guy who did the, there's one person that's really did the almanac properly, but Benjamin Franklin started stuff and he was a prolific writer, Yeah, you know? And But he had humor to him, and I think that's the only way Mm -hmm. he could get all these countries to talk to each other. I mean, he bebopped around between England, France, and America, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was humor. And having that – and people are always curious of travelers, too. They're always like, what? You know, what's going on? Mm -hmm. and And that could work against you, right, too. But I find it interesting with what you're doing because I feel like, yes, entertainment, but people may walk away going, God, I haven't heard about Charles Dickens since I was in school. I don't even know if they teach him in school anymore. You know, yeah. Um, I hope so. God, I hope so. But maybe they'll go read that. You know, but I'm fascinating about you going. Hey, let me write my first novel as a mystery because you have to keep people. mist I think mystery has to be the hardest thing to write, whether you know it's crime or just who done it, like all that has got to be the hardest because you have to string your reader along to the end and still surprise them and not give it away to you. You have to have that balance. So tell me about that process of decision. Like I'm going to do this and not only am I going to do one book, I'm going to do a trilogy and go for it. And how do you know to when it's time to put it out and say, okay, I can string people along till the end. Yeah. Like how uh, did <laughs>
1: yeah. it, it, it is it is a fascinating question and uh, I I may not be the best person to answer it because I think my situation is is rather peculiar <laughs> but let me tell you. Uh when we first started talking I mentioned about how I got said I would, I would talk about how I got into writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this now gives me the opportunity to 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 do that. Uh let me just say before uh, I I get into it that in my professional career, I was writing sort of academic papers which were published and books and so on and so forth. So this really, right, switching to fiction is really a huge change for me. And uh, this is how it happened. And it's almost um, a single uh, event that, that occurred. And that event was the, the purchase of The Mystery of Edwin Drood. At this point, I had no intention of writing anything. Mm. I simply was rereading some of the classics, and I picked up this one, and I was going to read it. But, as I was saying, everybody who reads it tries to figure out the how the story was going to conclude. And when I read it, I came up with what I thought was a clue to the ending, which nobody else seemed to, to mention. Uh, I told you about all these people who try to solve the, uh, solve the mystery and write the final, uh, the ending of of the story. So there's a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff out there. But had I really come up with a clue which no one else had ever seen? Um, so I, I'd kind of fallen into being interested in them, in the in, in writing, or excuse me, not in writing rather, but in, the mystery of Edwin Drude itself. And uh, so what I did was to write up my clue as a short article. I knew how to write articles. I knew how to get Mm -hmm. them published and stuff like that. And I sent it off to a thing called the the Dickensian, which is um, published by the University of Kent. And uh, I knew they would look at this very carefully. It would be subject to scrutiny by all the top, Dickensian scholars in the UK. Well, uh, scrutiny complete. They liked it. They said it was an original contribution to the debate about Dickens' story. And they published in in one of the issues. So at this point, I still haven't started writing fiction. I've written a, a note, if you like, with the evidence for my clue. But once I had that, then I began to think, hmm, this really opens up some different solutions to the story mm,
0: cool. than anything else
1: that might have been written or thought about. So then I moved on to thinking about a solution to this whole story based on my clue, and, and I thought more about it. And again, I was thought, well, maybe I'll just – write up my solution, send it back to the Dickensian as an article, and that'll be it. But it was from that, that point that it grew into a novel. So um, as I say, I'm a, probably a bit peculiar in a way because <laughs> I'm a, I am a—I fell into writing a novel as a result of that purchase of one book, The Mystery of Edwin Drew.
0: Wow, it's amazing because you're going from articles. I think there's You know, because writing articles, it follows that formula of a press release, right? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's, Mm -hmm. you know, we've we've got that formula and the formula is true even for a book, right? Yeah. And if you go, if you know how to, you have to sell it fast in an article, right? You know, one page press release, you have to have that technique to make that successful. And it's the same in the book. You just, because, and and it's the same in a mystery because you have to have that moving that movement of you want to turn the page. You want to turn the page and you're on that journey. But like a a mystery, you read fast. Mysteries are the ones that keep you up at night. You are all responsible. All of you mystery writers for (laughs) so many people losing sleep. It's not funny. And I think it's a brilliant thing because if you, you know, I can say brilliant because you're from Wales. absolutely. (laughs)
1: But,
0: But, you know, but that's the thing. You want that adventure, you know, I think as we age and if we stayed up all night reading a book, we're like, hey, that's it. I'm going to get up at two in the morning and I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine and finish this book. Yeah. And I may have a bar of chocolate at that time, a little dark chocolate, because I'm old enough to do it and I will. And then I'll be, you know, shattered the next day. And I can use that word, too, <laughs> because it's from Wales. But it doesn't matter because that's my adventure now. And And really, we... I mean, reading books, it is an event. And once you're hooked into it, it's like that rabbit hole, that earworm. It is. You're in it. And yeah. Yeah. that next morning, you you get upset because you finished it. It was beautiful. You you knew it was that adventure. And then, literally, you do want to swear at the author because you're tired. And you did it to us. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And, and, and you know you want that effect on people, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I got... So interested in in Dickens that I actually went to, on one of my trips back to the UK, I went to Gads Hill Place, which is, uh, or was, excuse me, his home in, in Kent. And mm. it, it's still very much like it was in 1870 when, when he was living there. And uh, to make my story as <laughs> realistic as possible, I went and I stood In his study, which is where the murder in my story takes place. So, were you
0: allowed to take photos and everything for your? Oh, yeah,
1: it was. It's it's actually now open to the public, I believe, during the summer holidays, but I think it's a school, a girls' school for part of the year. But it's only an hour's train ride from London, so it's easy to get to. Oh, wow. There, I went out of the front door down the drive, crossed Gravesend Road and into the Falstaff Inn, which is a pub that's been there since, I know, 16th century or or whatever. And it's another place where I set set an incident in in my story. So uh, I had a, a beer and I saw the pub and I felt after my day's trip, I really had the background and the feel of the place to be able to really put this down in the story and convey it to the reader. Oh,
0: that's amazing. I mean, isn't that research part like exciting? You know, I mean, can I mean, when you write things and you have those like those moments of like, aha moments, right? And you've actually been to a study like that to me, I, I would find it very hard to go to sleep that night. Do you have that like, where you will stay up all night or like, I mean, don't you get like a little crazy in a good way? You know, when you have that those moments and those aha, and then it's like, put it off, or do I write it now? And it doesn't matter. I mean, that's kind of a hard thing in the creative process. Well, obviously, balance.
1: You, I was telling you earlier that uh, I, I'm not a fast writer. You know, if, as I said, if I do 500 pages in a day, I'm very, very happy. That does not mean that I do not think as to, to my negatives there maybe but I do spend the, I actually spend the rest of the day thinking about the about the story uh, so mm. in in a way I may do an hour of writing but it's in your head. Hours, so I was thinking about right.
0: you know that's it started. like I'll, I'll be on an article I've been formalizing it in my head I'm very similar to you on that and then Nancy will ask me a question and I'll answer her from what I'm writing in my head and she goes yeah that makes no sense. And I'm like, oh, I know, but like now it's out and I have to go write it down now because I'm going to lose it because it's out of my head. Well, like well, as soon as you open your mouth, it it, it starts to release, you know, you yeah, can't. That's
1: exactly right. I mean, I think <laughs> when I'm as, asleep or par- partially asleep, I get up the next morning, I have a sentence or two sentences or a paragraph. I can go down. I can write those in to what I was working on the, the previous day. I can write them in immediately. Uh, so I find my time not writing is perhaps better spent in a way than my time spent writing.
0: It's obsessive. It is. It is just like doing a mystery, right? Yeah. It's obsessive. I, I mean, I, I find it so fascinating how every author is different. Some authors have, I have to write from five to here. Well, Dickens, yeah, right, right, right. yeah. Dickens was like that. And, oh, I go to a coffee shop. Like, to me, that would be annoying. Mm. I I I don't want to be around people. I don't have. I I want to be in my pajamas, looking at nature with dogs. Okay, <laughs> like I don't want to be around people. I want coffee. You know, I I don't. You know, and and maybe sometimes some great music. And other people don't want music. Everybody's different. Now, yeah. what about music for you? I should ask you that. Yeah, any music come to mind for this? And do you write with music? Do you? I mean,
1: I tell you, yeah. Um, I have some old rock and roll music that I like and I do play it when I um, when I write
0: uh, oh so you're moving your fingers with it so you get into a rhythm and it makes me I, flow. I
1: wish <laughs> no.
0: oh. <laughs> okay.
1: I'm, I'm nodding my head and I'm thinking but I'm not writing <laughs>
0: <laughs> I yeah. want to know okay what's on the rock and roll what like what's on your playlist I want to know I'm well, such a music uh, person I, I, this, this is
1: really odd, but, um, there was a, a time in the UK when, uh, this was long after Buddy Holly's death, but there's a time in the UK mm-hmm. when Buddy Holly was like a, a cult hero almost. Uh, I, you may mm-hmm. know that there was a, a musical about him, uh, in mm-hmm. the UK. It got a lot of attention. And, uh, I think I've seen that musical twice, maybe at least twice. And uh Buddy Holly and his music. That's that's one that I play a lot.
0: Oh now have you been to Lubbock, Texas? Ah no I haven't. His that's birth- his birthplace. Yeah. Now yep we go to Lubbock about two, three times a year and he's got his own park. He's got a museum and a oh. park plaza yeah. that his parents put together. And um he's got they've got a giant I'm gonna After this, I'm sending you photos of it because it's amazing. (laughs) He's got giant sunglasses. And we went during the pandemic, unfortunately. So we couldn't go in and everything, but get the outside. But he has his own plaza, and they have music concerts in the plaza. And we just came through Mason City, Iowa, which is near Clear Lake, which is where Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens crashed. And so they played the Surf Ballroom, which was the last concert out there. But I haven't walked to this site because every time and we were on this writing project of this Jefferson Highway. It's a historic highway that was started in 1915 that goes from Winnipeg, Canada, down to New Orleans. And it's it's a revival of it. And Mason City, um, the music man, the, the music man himself comes from there, Iowa. And we've done shows on this. And every time we try to get near there, like something detours us. But we have to go and stay there because they also have the original and only Frank Lloyd Wright hotel that was designed by him in the world. There, still standing. Well, here's, so, uh, uh,
1: here's a piece. So, of it. sorry.
0: Yeah, um, I, I have to go there. <laughs> oh well, know.
1: I'm just, just going to add on uh, on uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. He has a Welsh heritage. I hope you know that.
0: I did not know that. Yeah, I, and I've I'm been on sure. part of his trail in Wisconsin and every that, Come on. I'm not sure whether he
1: was sort of born over in Wales or whether, you know, it was his parents, but he certainly has a Welsh connection. My wife absolutely loves his houses. We have to visit them wherever we go. She's the uh, well, she just thinks they're amazing.
0: That well, his, his design because it goes into nature, right? Well, yeah. let's talk about some Welsh heritage. You do have some famous people from Wales. And, and it, you know, Wales is small, but you do, you have Roald Dahl. And I think he is one of the best. Seriously, Jungle Book and everything. Come on. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Obviously. And he was just, I almost, I almost look at him as a philosopher in a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's, he, I'm
1: trying to think of the, other author that I really, really like. His name escapes me right now. But um, yeah, we do produce one or two people who uh, make their mark on on the world. And and he was certainly one.
0: And you're going to be the next one now. Your book's (laughs) coming out. So everyone, September 26th, Immortalized to Death is coming out then, but you can pre-order it. Remember that. Authors love that. It really helps. And um, writing, uh, you may read the book overnight because you get excited about it and have your wine and chocolate at the end or not everyone's different um but so much blood sweat and tears goes into a book so right. pre-ordering uh, whatever we can do to help authors um you know do that where you can and lynn's website is lynn that's l-y-n and it's squiremysteries.com. check it out there and of course, Books Forward is booksforward.com and we're bigblendradio.com. We want to thank all of you for listening today. And thank you so much, Lynn. It has been a pleasure having you on the show talking about your Dunstan Burnett trilogy. And we can't wait for part two. And, um, yeah, you've got to keep going because there's a lot. It's, it's fantastic. We well, love thank it. You,
1: thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa. And, uh, do tell your mother, I hope she likes the book.
0: She does. <laughs> she, she needs to not tell me about it. That's she's really, I mean, just about every author that's been on the show knows this. She, she <laughs> um will go, you know, so-and-so just did this. And I'm like, you're not supposed to tell me this. I'm not there yet. Well, this is amazing. And, and honestly, you know, we travel full time. So her Kindle light is on. I'm like, can you, tra-? no, he's like the kid with the flashlight or a torch, as you would may say in under, you know, with a tent in her bedroom. That's who she is. Like, she's one of those. She will stay up reading people's books all night. And then I have to say, we have to work. She goes, I don't care. I'm finishing this. So, anyway, you're, you're one of those books. So, um, she, she loves your writing. She, she just, the first thing she said, this man can write. I love it. So, wow. and I mean, I just, I just love that you brought Charles. I know you're saying all these people, and I love that. I just, I, I want people and writers like Charles Dickens to forever be immortalized, right? <laughs> you know,
1: absolutely.
0: Good title. Thank you so much, Lynn. You take care and keep writing.
1: Will do. Thank you, Lisa.